It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome into the virtual bible study this is the virtual bible study for thursday may 21st 2009 we're live on your computer tonight and we're glad that we are on your computer well, this is a listener interactive program in which we benefit from your participation as well as our entire listening audience. We hope that you will take a minute to join in on the discussion tonight. You join in on a couple of ways. The first way is by email. Questions at collegeview.com is the address to use for the email tonight. Or you can send us a, uh, or give us a phone call at 877-381-4567. That's 877 381 Four five six seven, and then there's the third way you can participate in the program tonight, and that is a new feature that we have on our, our program. If you're watching us from our video feed tonight, at the bottom of your screen there is a link that you can click on that will take you to our show page, and you can join in in a chat room with other listeners. We have uh, several listeners out there already, and you can be a part of that discussion. We hope that you'll take advantage of the three ways you can participate in the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is away tonight preaching in Ohio. And in his place, uh, we have a fill-in and a very capable fill-in. Anthony Petrochko is here. Anthony's a member of the College U Church of Christ. Anthony, welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. Thanks. It's been a while. It's good to be back behind the microphone and on the other side of uh, of the computer, if you will. Is the seat warm tonight? It's okay. Well, yeah. Maybe we'll get it warmer yeah, later on the program. Maybe, yeah, there you go. All right. We have an important discussion uh, for tonight. We want to talk about evolution. And there was much ado in the news this week, Anthony, about what uh, they say is the, the missing link, and they even build it up as much as this will pretty much settle the, the question of whether or not evolution occurred. They found a missing link. Now, what was interesting to me with this missing link, Anthony, is uh, that you know when I heard they found that, I would thought, well, this thing must look an awful lot like a human. It looks more like a squirrel to me than a human. It does. It's got a big, long tail and uh, so forth. Maybe two feet long, so maybe a big squirrel. Yeah, right. Sort of maybe cat size or something like that. They're calling, I don't know, talking about it being a small monkey or a lemur-like animal. So, yeah, apparently, you know, big press conference and a big unveiling of this uh, discovery. So, Definitely something that we need to be paying attention to and uh, and makes a, a good topic for our discussion tonight. Well, it is. It is in the, the news, and it is on people's mind, and so we want to talk with you about it tonight. Maybe you think this is an important discovery. Maybe you think that it does prove that evolution does occur. We'd especially like to hear from you tonight to get your take on this recent discovery. And, in fact, this is not that recent of a discovery, Anthony. It's been around for 25 years just took them a while to realize that this was a missing link. Yeah. It was hanging on somebody's wall, I think, in their living room for right. about 25 years. Um, the National Geographic reports on it this way, says uh, Ida, the small missing link found in Germany that's created a big media splash and will likely continue to make waves among those who study human origins. And it goes on to talk about how this fossil bridges the evolutionary split between higher primates such as monkeys, apes, and humans and their more distant relatives, such as lemurs. Now, this is the first link to all humans, uh, the scientist said, of the National History Museum in Oslo, Norway. Uh, he said, Ida represents the closest thing we can get to a direct ancestor. And that's important, Anthony, because we're going to talk about missing links tonight, and we'll, we'll, we'll note that there's not, if evolution is true, there is not just a single missing link. There would have to be literally millions of missing links. But this is, they say, they admit, this is the closest thing we can get to a direct ancestor. So that's the problem that we'll note as we go on in the program tonight. Exactly right. I think as we'll see, we get into this, uh, even those who originated this idea, uh, 
would have expected to see a, a lot more than just one missing link. So, All right. He, the article goes on, says Ida has a unique anatomy. The lemur-like skeleton features primate-like characteristics, including grasping hands, opposable thumbs, clawless digits with nails, and relatively short limbs. And so I guess we take that leap, and there are right. so, a few things that are like a human, maybe. Right. <laughs> An opposable thumb that I guess you could maybe construe. And so we then conclude that this is the missing link, and evolution is true. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, maybe as we get into this discussion more, um, you know, we need to think about what, what science really is and what purpose science really serves. Is science about trying to explain where we came from and simply making assumptions and suppositions about, um, you know, oh, we found this fossil and it has human-like characteristics, therefore it must be, you know, a missing link. Or is science about, uh, you know, the scientific method and conducting uh, research and experiments in a controlled manner to try to arrive at scientific truth? Um, I think we'll you know, in my opinion, you know, science, the purpose of science is not to, uh, you know, try to connect the dots about how we got here where we can't actually demonstrate empirically how that happened. Uh, I don't think that's the purpose of science. All right. We'll uh, get into that as we go, Anthony. Uh, the article goes on and gives a caveat, though. It says, but there's a ga- big gap in the fossil record from this time period. Researchers are unsure when and where the primate group that includes monkeys, apes, and humans split from the other group of primates that includes lemurs. goes on and says, uh, Ida is one of the important branching points of the evolutionary tree, but it's not the only branching point. At least one aspect of Ida is unquestionably unique, her incredible preservation of her of and specimens from the Eocene era when early primates underwent a period of rapid evolution. So they're saying this, we don't have very many fossils from this period, but we know that they underwent rapid evolution. So I guess that's a way out. If you don't have fossils, you can't prove that the theory's wrong. So, <laughs> right. So we don't yeah. have fossils, but they did go a, a rapid evolution. That's why we can't find the missing links, because they were really evolving during this time. Right. And the thing is, too, you know, and I'm sure most of our listeners have, have noticed, is this all, it's all stated as fact. And, you know, the Earth is, you know, however many billions of years old. And, um, you know, everything in regards to this theory of evolution uh is stated as fact when uh, real, you know, true, uh, sincere scientists would admit that, no, this is a theory. Exactly. So uh, it's very frustrating to read articles like this that simply state all of this as fact when in, when in fact it's not. All right. And finally, the article says, from this time period, there are very few fossils, so they tend to be an isolated tooth here or maybe a tailbone there. Uh, Richmond explained, so you can't say a whole lot of what t- uh, uh, what that type of fossil represents in terms of evolutionary history or biology. So there's not much fossil record to show that evolution occurred, and we'll talk about that as we get into the program tonight, but we especially want to hear from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. And Anthony, as it occurs, uh, this is somewhat coincidental, but it happens to be in our favor tonight. Uh, you have a degree in oh. biology, and uh, I invited you to come. And then later, that was uh, recall. I was reminded of the fact that you are well. You're going to be the resident expert tonight <laughs> yes, uh, um, on the subject of evolution. Tell us what evolution is, the theory, and uh, there is actually proven evolution. We need to make that uh, make that statement as we begin the program tonight. Evolution, in part, is true. Right. I mean, the, I, I think that's that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, just to, to go back on the introduction there, I, I do, I guess, technically have a degree in biology, but I've not ever put that to use. And so I don't claim much expertise in that. But I did go through sort of the, the paces of, you know, uh, spending uh, four years in college or whatever being, uh, you know, fed this this idea of evolution and and so forth and so on. So. Um, does maybe give me a little bit of a different perspective, but I'm by no means an expert. But um, but as you said, Jacob, we do need to be careful as Christians when we're maybe speaking to someone about this topic. We need to be sure that we're informed, and we need to understand, as you said, that 
we need to be sure that we're working off the same definition of evolution. Okay. When, when most folks talk about evolution, they automatically think, you know, uh, mankind came from monkeys or whatever. But that is technically, I guess, what we might call general or macro evolution, the idea of of the origin of life as we know it on this planet and how we came to be, specifically how humankind came to be. So that would be the um, the idea that there was this soup of organic matter, right. something happened, we got life out of that organic matter, and then from that you have everything that you see today. Right, yes, the idea that I guess, I'm not sure if the Big Bang, I guess, is probably the prevailing theory of how everything sort of began and then of course as you said you've got this primordial soup i think they'll call it and yes. and you have a which somehow as you said non-life had to give way or give rise to life mm-hmm. which um you know that's a question in and of itself but then you know you've got single cell organism and over all these eons and eons of time you now have all the complexity and diversity that you see today um, so that's the idea of, of general or macro evolution. But as you said, we need to be aware that evolution on a small scale or what you might call micro evolution is something that we can observe in our natural world today, um, which, as I was trying to allude to earlier, that's what science is really all about, are things that we can actually observe and, and demonstrate through um, through concrete uh, methods. And micro evolution can be observed, the genetic uh, makeup of a population of organisms can change over time. When you look at, say, insects, for example, they have very short lifespan. So we can look at populations of insects and, and look at the genetic makeup of that population and see that it changes over time. But the key point in that is it's still you don't have a bee going over to a a, a bird, a bird or, a, or, or even any other kind of insect. The interesting thing in that is it's always still a bee. Um, you know, and the same thing has been done with plants. You you may remember from school the the I think it was Austrian monk Gregor Mendel was the father of modern genetics and playing with plants and so forth and so on. So we've created maybe even technically new species of plants or flowers or what have you, but they're still flowers. Um, but anyway, the point of all that, Jacob, is just to say that we need to be aware of the uh, what we're talking about. We're talking about evolution. Are we talking about the origin of species per se or are we talking about um genetic changes in a population which we can observe some genetic change uh, but what we cannot observe is evolution on the scale that explains how we got here well certainly and we we are familiar with the micro evolution as you noted uh, for instance we might have some a dog or a cat at home that has been bred for certain characteristics it has evolved from that wild animal been domesticated right certain traits that we wanted we bred it for those traits so it could be developed my wife is growing tomatoes at home in the garden and uh, those tomatoes have been bred for certain characteristics i think one of the names of them is early girl I, that's going to give <laughs> you your tomatoes early you and go. another one is the big boy that's going to give you some big tomatoes we've been they've been genetically bred for those characteristics but they didn't start with an apple tree when they wanted to get that big boy tomato they started out with another tomato plant and it changed on a small scale micro evolution it didn't change species and become a different plant and bear different fruit exactly right and those are laws that god set in place we believe at the beginning of time when he told things to reproduce after their kind and we still see those laws in place today. We want to talk to you on the program tonight at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. It's time for our first break. Use this break to get in on the discussion. We hope to hear from you. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to 
us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we will hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study. We're glad you're a part of it tonight as we talk about evolution. It has been in the news this week. Anthony Petrachko is here with us, and we're looking at the theory and why we believe the theory is wrong. We'd love to hear from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Anthony, evolution on that micro, or macro scale that you talked about, though, that the, the jumping of species does not occur. If it did occur, it would have been proven in laboratories already. Uh, you, that it, right. And the people <laughs> want this to be proven. And if it could be proven, we would have we would be able to reproduce it in a laboratory. Right. I think that's the thing, as I was trying to say earlier. I mean, uh, true science is the idea of stating a hypothesis uh, or a claim and then conducting, uh, you know, formal experiments in order to prove or support or not support that claim. I think one of the things that, you know, that I learned uh, in my studies in college in biology is that um, it's very difficult or, or rather scientists ought to be very, very careful to use the term or, or to say that they have proven something. When yeah. you do an experiment and the experiment turns out to support your hypothesis, then you can't even necessarily say that you've proven your hypothesis. You can simply say you've supported it. So uh, in order to prove something in science really uh, is a very difficult thing to do. Um, things like gravity, the law of gravity, you know, that's something that is unavoidable and is provable. It's not a theory. Right. It's, it's a law. It's a law of science, right. And so when you go through a science education, as I did, you learn about the difference between laws and theories and so forth. And, um, you know, evolution truly is just a theory because it has to be because it's simply an attempt to explain how we got here. It's not something that can be studied in a laboratory. It's not something that you can go out in the field and conduct experiments to either prove or disprove it's all it is is an attempt to explain how we got here and uh i don't think that's the purpose of science um and as as we'll probably get into as we go uh it it's interesting you know creationists if you you know people who believe the bible and what god says about how we got here and that god created uh, everything that we see often uh often get belittled because oh that's just something that's based on faith you can't prove it. It's not something that's empirical that you can see and touch. It's just something that you believe based on the Bible. Well, I, I, I saw it written somewhere that the theory of evolution requires faith, too. Yeah. It's just a, a twisted faith. It requires that you believe that something came from nothing, and it requires that you believe that life can come from non-life, and uh, those are pretty, uh, pretty outrageous. That uh, life from non-life is what we call the law, the law of biogenesis, that uh, life must come from life. That is a law, and that is right. proven that you must have life to get life. And yet evolution contradicts that law that we know is established in science, that you can't have life from non-life. Evolution tells us that, you, as you said, Anthony, we had this pool of genetic material. We don't know where the pool came from, but just trust us, the pool was there. Right. And something happened. We don't know what happened, but just trust us, it did happen, and life came from non-life. Now, we cannot prove that in a laboratory. In fact, they've tried to prove yes, it in a laboratory. Right. And, right. and they have modified and varied the environment, the circumstances, every way that they know how, under ideal laboratory conditions in which they're controlling the variables and, and modifying the variables. They have never been able to prove and, and never been able to create life from non-life. Right. But yet, as you said, we've got to have faith that it happened. Right, exactly. So, you know, if you're just, you know, talking about evolution with someone, you, you know, kindly point out to them that they've still they've got a major problem, even if supposedly all of this evidence, these fossils like this supposed missing link 
you know, might seem to fit the idea of evolution, they still have a big problem of how did it all, where did it all come from? And as we said, that requires faith, um, you know, just like the uh, the Christian would have. All right. And also, as we noted in the article, they admit, the article admits that they don't have many fossils from this period. They do not have those missing links. And it is a misnomer to say that there is a missing link, Anthony. Absolutely. If there, if evolution occurred, we'd see in the fossil record that there were gradual changes between species. We could, we could trace that change throughout time because it wasn't just something that happened. Right. A monkey didn't give birth to a, something that was half human and half monkey. Right. They mm-hmm. say it happened very gradually over time. Yeah, there are no fossils that show that. Right, that's a great point. And sometimes I, I think I've heard others who are talking about evolution kind of will say, "Well, evolution, you know, can't be true because are you do you expect me to believe that a monkey gave birth to a human?" And we got to be careful that we, you know, that's not really what what evolution would say. It's as you said that this would have been a very very gradual thing. But what we can say in uh, to refute that idea is. If that's the case, if there was all these gradual changes over millions of years, where are the fossils that show all of these many, many stages of change? And uh, Darwin himself predicted that the fossil record would, you know, over time as archaeology went along, that we would find, you know, thousands if not more uh, you know, millions of these missing links of these transitional species, as they, as he called them. Uh, so, but we don't. We don't have that. There, notice, well, notice what Darwin said about his theory. He said, "This is Charles Darwin, the founder of the modern theory of evolution." He said, "The number of intermediate and transitional links between all living and extinct species must have been inconceivably great." He says there were there was not just a missing link. The number of intermediate steps between the species we see today would have been inconceivably great. And in fact, Anthony, that works in our favor. If it was just one generation from a monkey to a human, then it would be hard for us to find that fossil. But when they're saying it is inconceivably great, the steps along the way, the intermediate steps along the way, the number of those steps is inconceivably great, there ought to be missing links everywhere. You couldn't dig a hole in your backyard <laughs> without coming across the missing link if evolution occurred. <laughs> That's right. Now, it sounds funny, but you're exactly right because, uh, you know, evolution requires eons and eons of time, and they'll tell you that. And if that's the case, then just as you said, and even as Darwin predicted or, or expected to see all these transitional fossils, which we simply don't have, there's no way around that fact. All right, 877-381-4567. Questions? at collegeview.com or join in on the chat room. Several listeners out there, Dean and Eric and Gregory and some other listeners as well are in the chat room tonight waiting to chat with you, so join in in the chat room. What about uh, the second law of thermodynamics? That's a mouthful there, Anthony, but tell us what the second law of thermodynamics uh, tells us. Well, there's a big word, a kind of a buzzword that you can use to talk about this, and that is this word entropy. And I have to tell you a funny story. I have to digress here for a minute. When I was in college, um, the school I went to, all the seniors had to pass a comprehensive exam. We call them comps. And you had to submit to oral questioning by members of your uh, of the faculty of your major. And then you also had to take a written test. It was open to everything within that you study within your major. And in the oral questioning part of mine, they, the, one of the uh, professors was asking me about entropy. And uh, and I completely fell on my face. I couldn't explain. He was asking me all these questions about entropy, and I, I just I said, I'm sorry, I just can't answer those questions. So that's something that's always stuck in my mind. But basically, <laughs> the simple answer is that you know entropy is the idea of uh, the you know it's the the amount or the measure of chaos or disorder within a system. And by system, we mean you know an environment, whether it be uh, a system could be your, the your, your kid's room. Yes, exactly. A system could be uh, you know a, a jug of milk and the bacteria that are growing in that system, or the system could be you know the universe or the earth or whatever. Yeah, to put it on, on layman's terms, it's your yeah. kid's room. Mm-hmm. As you you go in, the room is clean, 
and now you turn the kids loose for a few hours, and the entropy increases in the kids' room. Everything was nicely placed on the shelf. Now it's in the floor, and it's mixed up. That is uh, an example of entropy right. on very basic terms. Sure, and you know, as you introduce different things uh, into the system, there the the law, the second law of thermodynamics would would state that the disorder or the complexity of that system is is going to get is going to increase the, or the, the chaos. The chaos mm-hmm. is going to increase, mm-hmm. and what evolution tells us is that things have become more ordered. We have this soup of organic matter. And it has now organized itself into life, and that life has organized itself into more complex beings over time. Right. That violates another established law. This is not a theory. It's not the theory of, sec- of, sec- of thermodynamics. Right. It is the second law of thermodynamics, and evolution contradicts that. We want to hear from you, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeu.com. And there's another problem with evolution, Anthony. We begin this discussion now, and this will likely carry over on the other side of the break but evolution requires a lot of time uh and it requires a very long time and that time that it requires is a problem because we just don't have evidence that the earth is as old as it would take for evolution to occur right that's exactly right and one of the things uh you know there's many things that we can point to 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 support the idea that the earth is not billions and billions of years old and one of those uh would be the fact uh, that the Earth is not over hasn't been overrun yet by by we people here. Um, you know, scientists have studied, uh, you know, done mathematical models or whatever regarding the population, and if the if what evolutionists say is true, uh, you know, there would be so many people here on the Earth, you know, that we would have overcrowded and we would, you know. It would be mass uh, mass chaos. And there simply are not that many people around. Right. If we had been around for millions of years, as they say, there would not uh, there would not be any room left for people. And there's another one, uh, Anthony, that I think is very important for us to consider. That is the size of the sun. The sun is on fire. The sun is burning, and when things burn, they get smaller. The sun is getting smaller, and it is getting smaller at a known rate. And... As a, a scientist, you would want to figure out what that rate is, and you'd also want to figure out how big was the sun at various points in history. And since we know that the sun is, is decreasing at a known rate, then we can work backwards, put on our detective hat and work backwards, and figure out how big the sun would have been at various points throughout history. And this is interesting. Just 100,000 years ago, the sun would have been twice as big as it is now. You think summer is hot now. Imagine if the sun was twice as big as it is now. 100,000 years ago, yeah, the sun would have been twice as big. No life would have existed on the earth just 100,000 years ago. But we can continue to work back farther beyond that. And 20 million years ago, the sun would have been so big that the earth would have actually been inside the sun based on its distance from the sun, its orbit. Mm-hmm. And, and so... That again tells you that no life would exist if this earth is inside the sun. But now evolutionists claim that the evolutionary process was almost complete or had even been complete by 20 million years ago. And so they had this organic soup and they had this life being generated in that soup and they had all of the complex evolution occurring while the earth was still inside the sun. Doesn't quite add up. Something's not adding up here. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com. What do you think about the theory of evolution? We're going to take a break, and when we get back from the break, we want to take your comments over the phone or over email tonight. We're going to take a break where we normally get our bullet point, and our bullet pointer is out of town tonight. And so I went back in the archives and I got a spot that I had recorded. Uh, several years ago, but I think it is still relevant today. So we'll take a minute and listen to that, and we'll take your comments on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Jacob Gwynn with something for you to think about. The Institute of Medicine, under the direction of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, recently released results of a study on the effects of marketing food to young people. The results of the study, they say, show that advertising in the media can negatively influence children to eat in ways that are unhealthy. 
They are alarmed at the number of advertisements that promote unhealthy foods to young people and fear that these ads will cause the children that they target to make poor choices in the foods that they eat. As a result of their study, they conclude, quote, there is strong evidence that marketing of foods and beverages to children influences their preferences, requests, purchases, and diets. Consider what this study has revealed. Television advertisers have figured out what has been perplexing mothers for centuries. Television advertisers know how to make kids eat exactly what they want them to eat, while mothers struggle with this every night at the dinner table. Isn't that amazing? The media may be more successful at influencing children than parents. Furthermore, this study has made another revelation, and it's much more frightening than the fact that children might eat something they shouldn't if they see it on television. The results of this study show us that television and the media can play a huge role in encouraging behaviors in young people. When we couple this with the incredible amount of immorality in the media today, we can conclude that the influence of the media on children has dire moral consequences as well. Not only are the television producers and advertisers telling children how to eat, they are also telling children how to act. Television and the media are working very hard to influence young people to be immoral in all kinds of ways. And remember what this study has shown, television and the media may be more successful at influencing children than parents. This truly is frightening. So what should parents do as a result of these findings? Parents who want their children to eat healthy are certainly going to have to be careful about the kind of advertisements that their children view. And parents who want their children to eat healthy will be talking to them on a regular basis about making the right choices about what they eat. So it is, too, with parents who want their children to live righteous lives. Parents who want to raise godly children will be careful about the television that they allow their children to view and will talk to them on a regular basis about making the right decisions according to the Word of God. That's what Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, where we read, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Parents have a God-given responsibility to train their children to make the right decisions in spite of the influences of the world that we live in, including the influences of the media. The recent study that shows that children are influenced to eat certain foods based upon the media should be alarming to us all. Not only does the media have the ability to influence young people's diet, but it also has the ability to influence their morality. Parents must be careful to protect their children from the evil influences of the wicked world in which we live. That's what the Bible says. Think about it. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. To find out more about the College View Church of Christ, check out collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, come and worship with the College View Church of Christ at your earliest convenience. College View Church of Christ meets on Sunday mornings at 930 for a period of Bible study, Sunday Mornings also following that Bible study at 10.30, College View Church meets for a period of worship. And then at 6 p.m. on Sunday night, College View Church assembles again for another period of worship. And then on Wednesday night, come and be a part of the of the Bible studies that occur on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. with classes for all ages. We hope that you'll come and visit soon at the College View Church of Christ if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area. We're talking about evolution on the program tonight, and we want to hear from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Earlier in the day, we sent out an update and asked you for your feedback on these questions, and we have some feedback we'll get to later on in the program, but we'd like yours now if you have not commented. The first question we asked was, do you believe the fossil, this fossil is really the missing link? Why or why not? Number two, what is the biggest problem you see with the theory of evolution? Number three, what do you believe is the motivation behind the huge effort to prove the theory of evolution true? What's the motivation for believing this wild theory? And number four, should we modify our understanding of the Bible to make it more in line with the modern teachings of science? Is it time for us to change the way we look at things and change our interpretation of the Bible to make it line up with some of these things that science is telling us from their studies. Let us know your thoughts over email or over the phone tonight. We're talking earlier, Anthony, before the break, about the age of the earth and how that uh, evolution requires a very old earth, and we just don't have that evidence when we look at the earth around us. 
Exactly. We talked about a couple of different things. Um, the fact that if, if we've been around as humans as long as evolutionists say that we have, then there would be so many of us on the earth that we couldn't all fit. Uh, and also we talked about the size of the sun, how that it's shrinking, and that if we just simply use that calculation and go backwards, then the sun would have been much too large to uh, allow life to exist on earth. Um, there's other other things that we can point to, um, such as uh, the Earth's magnetic field um, and uh, the levels of certain gases in the atmosphere and things like that. Yeah, we can look at uh, the levels of hydrogen and helium in our in our Earth in our environment, and hydrogen is being converted to helium as it decays over time at a steady rate, at a constant known rate, and if the Earth were as old as they say it is, the hydrogen would have been converted to helium at this point. Most all of it would have already occurred. Right. But the opposite is true. There's much more hydrogen in the environment than there is helium, indicating that the Earth is not as old as the scientists want us to believe. Right. It, you know, and, and this gets back to um, you know, all, all these things that are being stated as fact. You know, the, for example, with this fossil, this Ida that they're calling this animal fossil that they found, well, it's 47, I don't know, however many million years old. And it's just thrown out there as fact. But, you know, uh, all these dating methods and so forth uh, are, are anything but, uh, you know, absolute um measures of, of something's age but but it's just stated as fact and so while all the evidence and things that we've just talked about point to a much younger earth all right and as we mentioned uh this missing link that they're claiming ida to be it is not the first time that they've claimed a missing link has been found uh, the piltdown man was found in sussex england in 1912 and again this was claimed and uh touted to be the missing link in the evolutionary chain and 41 years later, it was proven that this was a modern skull that someone had stained to make look old, and they'd filed down the skull's teeth to make them look old and worn out. It was a hoax. Yeah, Jacob, it's really sad. There, there's so many others. Uh, in in history, we have uh, what was known as the Nebraska Man. It was a, They discovered a single tooth. Um and claims were made that this was, uh, you know, another one of these missing links. Again, they took a tooth, a tooth. and claimed that there was they they built an an animal around it that exactly. was the evolutionary link. Right, but but the same tooth uh, was found uh, in the jawbone of a wild pig, so it turned out to be nothing. And really, going back, there's a long history of this. Um, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but uh, anyone who who studies sort of evolution in school probably remembers Ernst Haeckel or Haeckel. Um, was a guy who was trying to prove this theory uh, of ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. Scientific here, but anyway, the bottom line. Can is, you say that one more time? Uh, it's it's ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. Oh wow! And what that means is uh, the development, sort of embryonic development, mirrors evolutionary development, and the idea would be that. If you look at the developmental stages of an animal embryo, say like a human embryo, that at you know four weeks it looks the it looks like um, a monkey, and at eight weeks it looks a little more human, and so forth. It's this crazy idea that well we can prove evolution because if we look at the stages of embryonic development in animals, they they look like what you might expect an evolutionary progression to look like. But anyway, the guy made all these drawings and he stated it as fact it turns out they were it was a complete hoax so this this uh um what's the word i'm looking for i can't think of it anyway this trickery has been going on for a very long time yes it has and uh, we've got several other examples um we could uh, talk about uh, you know 10 years ago there was a big uh, a lot of hype about a bird that they found that was supposed to be a missing link, a link between uh, dinosaurs and birds. Uh, it had a, uh, that this thing had wings, I think, with hands on the end of its wings, and this was going to be a huge evolutionary uh, find. It was going to be the missing link. National Geographic reported on this in 1999, and later they found out that this was just merely a combination. Somebody had pieced together bits of dinosaur bones and bird bones. And combine the two. It's a real shame, and you know, I, 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 we don't know. It's yet to be proven. Uh, but 
you know, in reading about this particular fossil that was found, it sounds very suspicious. As you mentioned, it was dug up some many, many years ago, supposedly, and it was cast in sort of a resin, and it hung on this guy's wall for 20-something years, and yet we're supposed to – and it's it's completely – you know, it's, it's a perfect condition fossil. It's, it's all intact and everything, and we're yep. supposed to believe that – through all this time and through all these strange people's hands, nothing is it hasn't been doctored or it hasn't been, you know, I, they, I read that, you know, well, the x-rays show that, you know, you can see the bone structure in the x-rays and that can't be faked. And that may be true. Maybe it is a legitimate fossil, but I'm still holding out that there's a, a good chance that this may later be proven well, to be another hoax. Well, looking at history here, history, yeah, exactly. su- history supports the idea that it's a hoax. Absolutely. History does not support the idea that it's evolution. And, uh, you know, they you mentioned it's, it was cast in resin. They were even able to, they say, examine the evidence of fur and soft tissue and pick through the remains of her last meal this is Ida, hmm. which was fruits, seeds, and leaves. How they were able to figure that out when the thing's cast in resin, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. know. But uh, the, the, again, there there is a history of hoax, trickery, and uh, other mischief. <laughs> right. And Patrick comments on that in our question tonight. Patrick from Birmingham, Alabama says, uh, does he believe that this is the missing link? He says no. There are a few reasons. Quite honestly, I have a predisposition of believing already that there is no missing link to be found. Aside from that, it's the same old story as every other alleged missing link we've had over the years. It's media hype about an interesting discovery, and they are wildly exaggerating what was actually found. To talk to most atheists, they will claim that evolution is already sound, proven fact. Yet when a discovery like this is made, the claim is that this discovery finally proves evolution. Of course, I speak in generalities, but the simple fact that a new species of animal has been discovered can in no way either prove that it or any other animal evolved from from something else. In fact, it may not even be possible to prove it's a different species. Individual species can have great variation. Just consider all the variations within humans, such as varying height, skin color, eye color, hair color, body shape, etc. Similarity does not prove evolution. Did a pen evolve from a pencil? No. One might argue that it is an evolution design, but there you have the dependence on an intelligent designer. Neither the pen nor pencil designed itself. And so uh, an excellent comment there. Thank you for that, Patrick. Yeah, I think on that, you know, as I tried to allude to earlier, this I, this idea of something being proven gets thrown around so nonchalantly. But really, you know, if you go and study science, um, you know, you're taught that you don't just do one experiment and declare that a fact has been proven. This isn't even an experiment. This is just something that was found, and it seems to fit their idea. And then, voila, it's proven this theory that any sincere, legitimate scientist would have to admit that a find a simple finding like this does not prove anything. Um, that I, I just keep coming back to that because I was taught over and over that uh, you know you, you don't you don't just throw around this notion of something being proven you know just uh, willy nilly like. That. All right, uh, Keith in Lynchburg, Tennessee says, does he believe it is the missing link? He says no, just because scientists. Our finding fossil remains doesn't mean they have found the missing link. Rather, they are finding animals that couldn't survive in this environment or that have been hunted to extinction. I find fossils all the time, most of which are seashells, which proves that there was a flood that covered the earth, just as the Bible said in Genesis. (laughs) All right. Thank you for that, Keith. Appreciate your comments and for you listening tonight. Uh, 877-381-4567. Questions at CollegeView. Dot com And a listener in Indiana says, it is strange how man is always looking for his ancestors. We find something new and immediately say this is a link to our present state. Man has only scratched the surface of the knowledge that is out there, and they grasp it whatever they can to support their conclusion. How can you reach a conclusion when you do not have all the information to support it? God has given us the ability to search and learn from the day-to-day evidence we find. Why does man jump so quickly to say, this is it? Are they so desperate to prove that God doesn't exist? And I think that the listener is on to something there. They are desperate to prove that God doesn't exist. We ask that question, and I believe that is the answer, that people do not want God to exist, because if he exists, then there are obligations that go along with that. We have a listener in the chat room who says 
uh, that uh, they think the missing link looks like Curly of the Three Stooges. <laughs> well, it looks just as much go. like Curly as it does anybody else. Yeah. Um, so uh, not too far off. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. There has been a lot of chat in the chat room, Anthony. My uh, screen was uh, was locked there. I wasn't scrolling down, and uh, I'm not going to be able to catch up with all that chatter that's going on in there, but it looks like some good discussion. We're going to take a break, and when we come back to the top of the hour, Anthony, we've talked about what didn't happen, and we believe that evolution could not occur by the, the evidence that we presented. Let's talk about what did. We believe that the Bible tells us how we all got here, and we don't need to go digging around in the earth to find out how we got here. We need to go digging around in the pages of God's Word. We'll do that when we get back from the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Hi, my name is Bob Tidwell, and I want to remind you that the Virtual Bible Study provides a great opportunity to use your computer for something good. So turn off the TV and gather your family around the computer each Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The Virtual Bible Study continues. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're going to the top of the hour talking about evolution. And if you've not joined in on the program tonight, there's plenty of time to take your call at 877-381-4567 or take your emails at questions at collegeview.com. Anthony Petrochko is with me tonight in my dad's absence. We're talking about evolution, and we want to hear from you. Anthony, we've talked a lot about what didn't happen. Let's talk for a little bit about what did happen. We believe the Bible tells us that God created the earth and that our God is so powerful that all he had to do was to speak the words, and the earth was created. Exactly. Of course, we we see the account of, of God creating uh, the world and the things in it. And, of course, in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, as we saw, as you said, how he spoke those things into creation. Here's how he did it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. In verse 3 of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 1, verse 6. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And in verse 9, we read, And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let dry land appear. And it was so. God says it, and it was so. In verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament from the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them to be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament and in the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. God made the universe that we live in by saying the word rather than this big bang that we're to believe happened and uh, we got order out of some chaos, God spoke the words, and it occurred in verse 20 of Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly uh, the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that it may fly upon the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And then we drop down to verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said in verse 26, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and in, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created to him. Male and female created he them. God spoke it, and it occurred, Anthony. 
and we need to have confidence in that. Exactly. I think, you know, as one of the uh, respondents on email mentions in his response, you know, there seems to you know, there's a tendency of Christians to want to try to um, get away simply from believing what Genesis chapter one says. And they may feel sort of guilty, like, oh, you know, the world is making them feel ignorant or something because they don't buy into their scientific ideas and may think that, well, you know, I need to be an intelligent person. I need to believe science. So I'm going to come up with some other way you know, to, to make Genesis fit uh, some of these earthly uh, ideas. And really that's just a slippery slope to go down. We ought not to feel like we need a compromise. Uh, the Bible simply says this is how it happened and that's what we need to believe. Absolutely. And that, uh, that is dangerous, as you said, to try and make the Bible correlate with what science believes because science throughout time, Anthony, has been mistaken. Definitely. Not too many years ago, science thought the world was flat. <laughs> and uh, the Bible tells us that it's not, but the scientists thought that it was. And if Christians were trying to be enlightened back in those days, were they trying to somehow prove that the Bible didn't really say the earth was round, that it was in fact flat? If we see the folly in that. We need to base our beliefs on what the Bible says, and then we'll take what science tells us if it winds up with that established truth. Right, and just one total sidebar here that I want to throw out really quickly as we were reading there through, and we saw that, that in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1 that where God created man uh, in his own image. We need to be careful, I think, as we go through school, as someone like me you know, went through public school and so forth and so on, you're, you're taught that humans are simply higher animals, that we're simply animals. And, you know, we're we're smarter and we're we're more advanced, but we're just animals. And I think we need to be careful. We need to teach our children that, no, we're not mere animals. We are a very special creation of God's. We're made in his image. We have a conscience that animals do not have. We have lots of other things that are peculiar to uh, humankind. And the reason is because God made us special. He made us in his image. And we're more valuable than the animals. In right. God's eyes, and we need and and but and and there's another thing too about evolution, Anthony, that we need to be careful about. When they dig up these fossils of humans, and we learn about ancient civilizations, we through the evolutionary teachings have been told that these people were less intelligent than us. They they didn't actually know how to talk; they just grunted, mm-hmm. right? And they right. and they and they just carried a big club and beat things over the head. They did. They weren't that bright. Mm-hmm. They weren't that developed. But God created man in his image, and so man throughout time has been as intelligent as he is today. And we shouldn't think that we're somehow superior to those who lived earlier than us. That's exactly right. Yep, that goes hand in hand with what I was saying. Exactly. It's very easy to, we sort of subliminally, subconsciously develop these ideas because we hear this evolutionary thought so much, it's so pervasive. We need to step back and realize that, wait a minute, we're not just animals uh, humans are humans, and God created us the way we are today from the beginning. Absolutely. And we have not evolved as the evolutionists would like us to think. Our question tonight, if I can find the second question, was what is the biggest problem you see with the theory of evolution? Keith in Lynchburg says, we don't see any new species of animals today. Why aren't cows having horses, or why aren't all the monkeys and primates extinct if we are the product of them? Good point. That's a good point. And I have to say, you know, going through, you know, the biology education, that's not something that 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 wasn't. I wish I had had that question when I was going through school and could have asked it, because in my mind, if uh, evolution requires survival of the fittest, then those things which were unfit or, in other words, less complex and less adapted, should not be around anymore. I, I struggle with that, and I'm sure the evolutionists have some answer for that. But if we came from monkeys, and the reason we came from monkeys is because we were superior and more fit to our environment, then why are there still monkeys? Why are they still around? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. All right. And then uh, Patrick in Birmingham says, the single biggest problem with evolution, in my opinion, is the simple question of how life arose from non-life. Now, I know that th- the things taught in science class have already changed since I was a small child, and things I was taught as fact only 20 years ago have since been disproven. But I do remember one thing I learned that has not been disproven. We learned about the once widely held belief called spontaneous generation. For example, it was supposedly once believed that rotting meat spontaneously generated maggots or rotting logs in ponds spontaneously generated frogs. We know today that living things do not come from non-living things, even dead things that were once living. 
atheistic evolution ask us to believe in spontaneous generation, and that is unscientific. To add an example, I remember listening to NPR just a couple of years ago. There's a news story about a new scientific breakthrough. Scientists finally discovered that plants came into being before any animal life began on Earth because it would have been necessary for plants to make the atmosphere breathable for animal life. As I listened, I thought to myself, I knew that. It's in the first chapter of Genesis. I look, I took scientists, I took scientists, it took scientists years of intense research to discover a simple truth of God revealed thousands of years ago. Thank you for that, uh, Patrick. We appreciate that. He mentions atheistic evolution, and he notes that he does not believe in that. I don't know where he stands on theistic evolution, but Anthony, we don't believe in theistic evolution as well. It has all of the problems that atheistic evolution has with the exception of life from non-life, but it still has the problem of where are the missing links, where's all the time that it would have taken. The Bible simply does not support the idea of theistic evolution. In fact, the Bible tells us the theistic evolution is false. God created life as we have it today. Exactly right. That's a good point. All right. And then our third question tonight is, what do you believe is the motivation behind the huge effort to prove the theory of evolution true? And Keith in Lynchburg says people don't want to believe the Bible. People don't want the Bible to be true. They think that if they can just find one thing to discredit the Bible, they can prove, have the world to themselves where sin can run wild and there is no standard. Appreciate that, Keith. And Patrick in Birmingham says the theory of evolution is fueled by atheism. The atheist believes that if he can prove evolution, he has effectively proven that there is no God. If there is no God, then he has no moral accountability for his actions. Thus, he can live any way he wants without fear of judgment. That's the motivation, as Patrick believes it. Your thoughts, Anthony? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the, the, that's why there's all this fervor and so much hype around discoveries such as this is because people are so eager to somehow finally put a nail in the coffin of of Christians and, and those who would reject this idea of evolution. They want to be able to finally say, aha, there is no God. You people are all wrong. Religion is a scourge. It's an evil um, and, you know, we we don't have a God to whom we're accountable. And th- that really is the motivation. And as they study his creation, they cannot see the forest for the trees. They cannot see that God created the earth. And Psalm 14, verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And the foolishness of these uh, who claim that there is no God, as they study his creation, is evident and clearly seen. Patrick goes on in our fourth question, What uh, should we modify our understanding of the Bible to make it more in line with modern teachings of science? Anthony, there have been many throughout time who have done that, modified what they believe the Bible teaches to make it line up with what science teaches, and that is, as you mentioned, a slippery slope and an unnecessary compromise. There is no reason to compromise what the Scriptures teach. If we believe it's from God, then it is inerrant. And we should believe what it says, and the scientists, if they contradict it, are the ones who are in error. Right. It really comes down to a lack of faith, I believe. Uh, if you're trying to make the Bible fit this idea of evolution, it's really because deep down, uh, you know, you're admitting that you, you don't, you can't simply take God for at His word. Absolutely. And Patrick uh, notes this in uh, his question. He says we have to be careful. Truth does not change, and truth cannot contradict truth. Authentic science. Scientific endeavor is an authentic search for truth. If a scientific discovery is true, then it cannot conflict with other truth, such as that truth which is revealed by God. Indeed, all truth is revealed by God because he is the author of truth. So should we modify our understanding of Scripture to suit modern science? Scientific discoveries may possibly shed additional light on some revealed truth to increase our understanding, but if there is a perceived conflict, then we must consider that either the supposed scientific fact is not actually fact or that our understanding of Scripture is incorrect, not that Scripture itself is incorrect. But we have to be very careful. Some things to consider is that morality will never change. We cannot allow rationalists to convince us the miracles of God performed were simply natural events with no supernatural cause. This question also highlights the necessity of of an authoritative interpreter of Scripture inspired by the same Holy Spirit who inspired the the writers of Scripture. Uh, Patrick is a Catholic. He believes that he need, that the Catholic Church is required in order to understand that, but we believe that the Bible is understandable. In fact, we've been commanded to understand uh, what God has said in his word, and we do not believe that we need uh, the church to tell us the truth. 
we believe that the Bible is understandable and we need to understand it. Uh, yeah, another discussion into, uh, into itself. And we certainly appreciate Patrick's participation and uh, maybe a discussion for another time. Yeah, and Keith and Lynchburg, should we modify our understanding of the scriptures to make it match up with what the what the scientist is saying he says in two words absolutely no and so thank you for those comments thank you for all of you those who have participated in the program tonight anthony the hour is over and it went by quick we had plenty of of additional material we could have discussed but uh a good discussion nonetheless. Yeah, it's definitely an important topic, and I think we all need to try to educate ourselves uh, as much as we can about this so that we can be informed and not when we see these these uh, these uh, hyped-up stories come across the media that, that we, we ought not to have our faith shaken by this. We need to be uh, – we need to understand uh, where we came from and, and – you know how the theory the theory of evolution is not uh, simply not supported by the evidence. All right, thank you for being here tonight, Anthony. Appreciate uh, appreciate your input tonight. Thanks for having me, and thank you for listening to the program. We hope that you benefited from the things we discussed tonight, and we hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the virtual Bible study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.